I feel like you were like doing what I was doing all week and I was looking forward to being here and just like, you know, when you've been locked up without uh, an outward expression of something and you get all like crazy, that's what I feel like you guys are. Um, just ready to pour out your praise. Just like, hey, we've been preparing all week. We've been waiting all week for this moment to come to your house, God, and to love you and just to pour out our praise and just to tell you all the things that we think that you are and all the things that you've done to us. Lord, uh, I'm Pastor Corey. If we haven't met uh, my wife, Erin, down there. It's our uh, 23rd anniversary today. So if you didn't think that there's a God in heaven, to get us to 23 years, there's a God in heaven. And with what our family's been through, I want to say that God has a reconciliation and God has... I tire of hearing people say that it can't happen. Our family and even this church is, is all about what can happen if God does it. And so um, I just want to just lift that hopelessness off of somebody today. You came in here telling yourself, repeating that story, like, I can't, we can't, it can't. Um, look, I don't know what the future holds for you, but I do know what God can do. And God doesn't love us or God doesn't love the person beside you any more than he loves you. You're very special to God. And so just keep that in your heart today as, I, um, as we get into our sermon. Have you been enjoying this series, uh, Church in the Wild? Kind of all about asking the question, like, who's, who's church for? Who's venue church for? How do we do things? Are we reflecting the heart of um, the Holy Spirit and the heart of our Father in heaven? So that's my buddy Sean back there. What's up, Sean? He loves it when he's on stage and the spotlight is on him. He was actually out praying um, where I walk around the little pond in Cooper's. He was out praying this morning, and I saw him from a half a block away, and I whistled at him. I went, <laughs> And he looks, he's like, but he liked it. Um, can I just, um, can I just talk for a second here as we talk about, um, today's sermon is about the, the lost sheep, but can I just kind of get into the sermon a little bit right now, just uh, in saying this, that, that this is God's house and God's house had better reflect God, if you know what I'm saying. But the house that I grew up in, um, now this is going to land on somebody in sort of a funny place. So just like, just give me a minute here. Um, the closest thing to your relationship with God, your heavenly father is your relationship with your earthly father. Now, if you had a good earthly dad, then that transfer happens quite quickly. But if look, if this, if this other thing was a struggle, here's what I want to say. And maybe this, this is hope for somebody. What I want to say is no matter what your dad was like, and no matter how broken that was, God is a father to the fatherless, and there are spiritual fathers in this house. Look, you can borrow my dad. I've had my dad a long time. He's great. I got all the things I need. But I just want to say that that, that transfer of relationship is probably the nearest thing to your relationship with God, your heavenly father. And um, can I explain just something? Thanks, Sean. Can I just explain something that that we're in this day now in Canada where, where we're like the kids are looking at mom and dad are and like, hey, mom and dad, figure me out. You know, like you go to work and it's your boss's job to figure you out so that you can find yourself. And he's like, just find me customers. Like, that's what I thought you were here for. Come on, help me preach this venue church. Like, you know that this is happening right now. Well, in my home growing up, because it was more like Old Testament, um, it was a little different. And this, this transference, when we come into God's house and we're like, God, figure me out. Um, we have to understand that God has figured you out. 
and he knows everything that you need, and he knows all the things that he has planned for you. But my mom taught me something that the Holy Spirit, who's like the mom of the Trinity, you know, the nurturer, the encourager, the like, hey, come on, you can do better. Hey, you're forgiven. Hey, come on back. Um, that the mom of the, my mom taught me about my father. And I just want to kind of preface this whole text today um, that my mom's like, you have to understand something about your dad. She said, your dad, this is how God made him. He is project oriented. So this is what she said to me. If you want to connect with your dad, don't interrupt him in the middle of something because what he does for this family is important. Because he's project oriented, because he never stops until it's done. Have you met Pastor Richard? He's retired now, but he's probably working more than he ever did just because he loves people so much and he loves helping us disciple people and on the prayer teams. But listen, she said, she said, God made him that way. And because he's that way, we have a roof over our heads. We have food in our bellies. Come on. He pastors people well. He always finishes. He, he always finishes what he starts. So you live in the great blessing of this. But because he's that way and you're, you know, like very impatient. I know that was young me. So you probably don't. That's who I used to be. Impatient. Because if I wanted an answer from dad, I want, it, I, want, I want it now. You know, if you haven't figured that out about me. But my mom said, if you want your best time with your father... This is what she said. You have to wait for him. So this is what she said. She said, okay, if dad's over here and he's in the middle of something, what he's doing is important to this family. So you are also important. So do it like this. Hey, dad, when you have a second, can you help me with, then give him the topic. Does that make sense? So like, hey, when you have a a minute, can you help me with this? And dad would be like, okay. He would stay and finish what he started because he always did. Now, if I really needed him, of course, he would drop that thing. But in most of life, then he would come over when he was finished and he would help me finish what I needed. And she's like, then you get all of him. Then you're not like trying to interrupt him in the middle of things and he's all fractured. Then you get all of him to help you with your problems. And believe me, he won't stop until it's fixed. And so as we talk about this church culture thing and what's church supposed to be for and and look, we're just church that sells one kind of ice cream. There's other churches in town that are amazing churches that when I hurt your feelings, you can go there and they'll take care of you. And they're great. But like we all sell ice cream. We're all in this game together. We're just church with a little C. But I want to say that this church with a little C still has to obey what God tells us to, to build here in the way that he tells us to build it. And there's something about God that you need to understand. And we got to get out of this idea that that the church or that God our father has to adapt to us And I'm talking to sons and daughters right now. Like, you already live in the blessings of God. Your sins are forgiven by Jesus. You've been adopted into a family you don't deserve. You have all of heaven's supply. You have all the things. So I'm talking to sons and daughters now. You have to understand, we got to quit wrapping church and God's house and God around us. And we have to start wrapping ourselves around him and being like, oh, that's the way that he is? Oh, yeah, okay, so we'd better. Now, um... Jesus in Luke, I mean, I've been in Luke and I'm in Luke 15 today in a couple of uh, places here. Jesus says, hey, so the son now is teaching us through the Holy Spirit, who's like the son of the Trinity and the mom of the Trinity are teaching us like, hey, you want to like get to know your father? I'm going to show you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to lay it all out. This is what matters to him. You want to connect? This is how you connect, right? Uh, Jesus says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. And then, and then catch this. 
In the same way, so start getting the word obsession locked in. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So, today, church people, I'm going to give you an opportunity to get something right. I'm going to give you the opportunity to have a heart change so that you're happy by things that make angels happy. You know why the angels are happy? It says when even one sinner, when even one comes in, something that has happened like hundreds of millions of times over the years as people have come to Jesus and been adopted in, Jesus is like, you have to understand, every time that that happens for the next person, heaven goes crazy because the angels are happy because God is happy. God is doing the happy dance around the house when one more, you might be the one person that I'm talking to. And when one more person comes in, heaven stops, the angels rejoice because dad is happy. You've done well, you know. And so, um, now listen, listen. As we're talking about Venue Church and we're trying to give you a place in the church, I want you to know up front that, that if you don't understand Venue's obsession up front, something will begin to annoy you. Like, we'll start getting under your skin. If you don't understand that that lost obsession, if you don't get that church people, we're going to start annoying you. Because we say like this, church can be a little about you. Now some church cultures, church is a lot about the people who are already in church. We say church can be a little about you, but not a lot about you. Like in my home growing up, the family could be a little about me, but not a lot about me. It had to reflect my father's heart. That was the, the most blessed place that you could live in, right? And so there's this if you don't get that, something will happen in the next year or two that will get under your skin and will start causing division. Because if you won't align yourself to how the church has aligned itself, we think, to God's obsession about the lost thing. If you won't align yourself there, like I do align myself to my father. If you didn't align yourself there, which is, was for the best of you and me and... If you want to align yourself there, what will happen is division will creep in. Another vision will creep in, or you'll hold on to a vision that maybe you need to give up today that doesn't align itself to God's vision for loss. Now, any other vision other than one vision is called division. Does that make sense? That's what we say, like, oh, more than one vision? It's called division. That's why the youth don't have a different vision than the worship team. They do different jobs, you know what I mean? But the vision is all the same. Kids... Coffee, small groups. We have one vision in the church because any other vision is called division. Well, that is how singular we need to be about something that uh, obsesses our Father in heaven. Now, how many people know that when you've been married for 23 years, you get to know the other person's obsessions? It's okay to laugh, guys, just relax. My wife, Pastor Aaron has some obsessions and when she starts getting dialed into something like she stays dialed in we got any people that, like once you get something in your mind like you can't like you got to do the thing right well so pastor Aaron used to have this obsession about um she called it her orphan annie dress that um was um like a shapeless piece of brown material that you know when you're you know when you're dating somebody how you like men we like actually do things like shower you know, you're hold like, I'm more of a deodorant man than a shower man. But then you actually start showering because you're like, yeah, that's not going to work. 
And you know how you like dress up and you're like careful about all the things. Well, it's funny that this orphan Annie dress didn't really start appearing until, because she loved this dress. She's like, I'm comfortable in this dress. And uh, she's, this orphan Annie dress started appearing like after we got married. Because if it had appeared before, I don't, you know, I'd have, it'd have just been different. Can you just like relax? <laughs> if you don't think this is funny, you're not going to like it. Um, so this orphan Annie dress that she was upset, like it makes me feel comfortable. And some of you, you're not convinced about the dress yet. I mean, my wife is hot, but you could, that dress, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was so bad, right? That all the hot just went like unclean and clean, you know? And then just everything got not, not hot. You know what I'm saying? So, so um, if you took, so here's, here's what I would say. If you took a sack of potatoes and took the potatoes out, and cut a, a hole for the head and arms, that was what this dress looked like. It was a potato dress. Now, it's the kind of dress you wear when you want to see who your real friends are. You know, you ever do that? You're like, I want to see who my real friends are. I'm going to sit in the corner and sulk. And then you realize, like, you don't have friends because you're not friendly. Sorry, I'm just saying. I'm just like, I'm going to wear this so that, you know, that you see my inner beauty or something, you know. And I'm like, look, I'm the guy in this world that if you have something stuck in your teeth, I'm just going to be the, like, I'm just going to say it just so that for the next two hours, you can have some, that thing out of your teeth and you can feel like a normal person, right? So I'm gonna say it and people are like, I love that, that about you. Some people say that, other people are like, what a jerk, why do you just... And so I'm like, I love that we're at the stage in our relationship that you're comfortable enough to wear that nasty dress. <laughs> I'm gonna see who my real friends are and I'm like, your real friends might be potatoes. <laughs> like, they'll get it. That address went missing. Um, there was never any proof. She used to wear with this dress a pair of old army boots. And once a year I preach about our first date and her obsession with boots. And uh, on our first date, now you got to imagine if somebody like me, if you're, if you're dating somebody like me, like I'm quite a catch, I think. And the, so, so our first date, and Erin really wanted to impress me, I think. So, but she didn't wear the orphan Annie dress. That didn't appear till later. But she had this pair of boots that she would wear with this orphan. And she just loved these old boots. Now they're just an old—I don't know what they were, but she loved them. They were kind of cool, actually. And so I'm—I—I I knock on the door. All of her roommates were gone. She lived with like four other Christian girls there. She's like, "Hey, there's nobody here. It's just me. I just need to get a pair of boots. Can you just hang out in the entry?" And I'm like, "Okay." And so I'm standing in an entry that was like the size of this table. And I'm standing there, and then, and then she does something. She's, she goes down to her room in the basement and starts rummaging around. I could hear a little bit, and then she's, she couldn't find her, her boots. And so then she's looking through the rest of the basement. I don't know if there's another roommate down there or not. And then she came upstairs and then went, went through everybody's room. This is really weird, by the way. Went through everybody's room looking for these boots. And about 30 seconds in, she probably realized that one of her roommates took them, but she just couldn't, like, deal with it. You know what I'm saying? Nobody else gets dialed in like this. So a few minutes later, she comes back in the entry and she's like, I'll be right there. I'll be right back. And then she goes back down into the basement and I hear it coming around. And a few minutes later, she comes back. She's like, I'll be right there. She goes back downstairs. As time went on, I, I started hearing like muttering, probably swearing. <laughs> she doesn't swear. I started hearing like, Definitely anger. 
and then things were being moved around a lot more. Let's just say it like that, like maybe violently. And this goes on and five minutes goes by and 10 minutes goes on our first date. And listen, you got to understand 10 minutes to me is like, it's like a year for somebody like you. It's like dog years, man. Like I age quick when I am in line, I'm just like, you know, the life is draining out of me and um, 10 minutes go by, 15 minutes go by. She will lie to you to this day. I was there for one hour and she's like, no, you weren't. And I'm like, you don't know. Cause a crazy person came and took over your body. You don't even know one hour of my life until finally, and if this marriage can make it 23 years, God can do anything in your life. I finally yelled across the house. Look, I'll get you a new pair of freaking boots. Can we just get in the car? You got to understand, if you don't understand her obsession, you won't get her. You got to understand that. My kids know when it's coming on. I'd be like, how's mom? Uh, she getting a little, uh, little dialed in. Okay. One time, Aaron thought it would be a good idea to leave me in charge of the kids at Ikea. And so, I'm like, she's like, you got the kids? I'm going to go into Ikea. And I hate Ikea because I'm, I feel like there's a membership where they'll tell you how to get out of there. But until you pay a certain amount of money, you just wander around forever. Like you're going to, there's people, there's skeletons in there. Like people look like me, just like they're dead. They're like locked in the kitchen stools because they can't figure out how to get out of there. I'm like, I'm not going back in there. So I'm like, of course I'll look after the kids. Like how hard could keeping track of four girls be? And I was talking with my mom and, uh, and then the kids had to go to the bathroom. And so we're walking down the hall to go to the bathroom. And I hear, I hear on the way down in the intercom code 99 and kids code 90. We have a code 99 and kids. And I'm like, some idiot lost their kid. <laughs> He's in for it. So the kids go to the bathroom. We get them out of there. And then we look up the, down the hallway and all the Ikea staff, a whole bunch of them are coming with Katie. I'm like, Katie, that kid looks a lot. Now the number four has been burned into my heart ever since then. So now when Arwen is gone, she's interning at Substance Church, my Pastor Peter's church. When she's gone, it's weird because the number four is drilled into me. Everywhere I look, I'm looking for fours, fours, fours. Well, I'm like, oh. And then, then it becomes one of those times where you're like, you know, kids, like, is it lying to not say anything to mom? Like, really? Like, you don't, you love dad, right? You're like, you don't want dad to get hurt. So, like, well. You know what would be really weird? is if we lost one and then I just looked at the other three and I'm like, well, three out of four is not bad. We can always make more probably. And like, maybe Katie will make her way back and maybe she won't, but we'll just be okay with this. Well, now I can get a vehicle that only seats five. I'm finally in a place where I can get a vehicle that only seats five. Thank God we don't drive minivans anymore. We got any minivan people in the house? Yeah, that's not us. The last time my wife's like, do not bring me one of those home again. I'm like, but it was purple. 
that'd be weird, you know? Nasia had a kid wander off in the mall. I'm not gonna say like, hey, raise your hand if you had a kid wander off. Everybody has, even the, even the people that take your kids away, if you lose your kids, have lost a kid in the mall. And Nasia, one of her kids wanders off, and she's like, like Nasia on a normal day is like pretty close to freak out. And then like, and it's like bad cop, bad cop, right? And then she talks to the most chill security guard in the mall, like, I don't know, like, you know, I guess her, your kid will probably turn up. And I'm like, you can talk to Nasia, like, I'm not gonna talk to her like that. I'm gonna stand over here and, and video it, you know, but like, it's, not, it's up to you. You know, in the church, we can be like the chill security guard when God's got a kid that's lost at the mall and we're like, you know what? We got a great church. Our church is full. I got laden. Like, what else? Do you? you know what I mean? So like, I feel like if they turn up, they turn up. If you don't get venues obsession about that, it's not going to work here for very long. And if venue ever loses the heart of the father with this obsession about, listen, we live, sons and daughters, in the, it's not like our lives are easy all the time. It's just that we live in God's family with God's inheritance. And when he looks at us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees Jesus. And like, we go to heaven and we have all the things in the end. But your neighbor doesn't. And it's, it's weird that when you see somebody in the coffee shop, you're like, well, if they show up, they show up, I guess. You know what I mean? It's just, it's weird. It's not like how God sees people. Is this working for you? As long as one is lost, I don't think God's okay. Look, he doesn't need the one to come back to be more God, but it bothers him. Wouldn't it bother you? Like, I mean, if you were like a good father, wouldn't it just like, there is a dull ache inside of us that if you don't get a hold of and it doesn't become part of your obsession, it's going to get under your skin. And then when you have too much time in your hands for church people problems, you're not going to get why we don't care. Like, we're not a cruise ship. We're like a battleship. And we're just trying to get people out of the, the water. And you're like, my, my chair doesn't face the sun, Pastor. I'll be like... I don't care. It's going to annoy you. It's going to hurt you. And the person in your small group is like, look, let's pray for your problems. But I think that gets solved by helping somebody else solve their problems and getting connected. Like tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. So tax collectors were like the mafia people of their time. Other notorious sinners, people like you. It's funny how Jesus only had one message and it was like, repent. Like, that's obviously not working. You don't have to tell somebody who's uh, far from God that they're far from God. They kind of know. Am I right? So, like, it's not working. Jesus would be like, hey, repent. Like, go in the other direction. Come to me. Let's live a different life, you know. Um, that's not who really I'm preaching about today is, is this next. And then it says, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. Like, oh, my goodness. Um, and that had to do with the whole unclean, clean thing. You got to go back and, and listen to the sermons, um, download the podcast app and go through the sermons again. Cause there's always more that the Holy spirit has for you that you don't get the first time. 
And it's good to send people to the video, by the way. Every person who comes here has watched it. So send them there first, and they create a comfort level. But anyways, I'm just saying that whole, um, remember that unclean? When unclean in the Old Testament touched clean, both became unclean, right? But then when Jesus comes, when, when unclean touches his clean, then both become clean. I know the C's don't point. I actually stole that from a guy named Mark Buchanan, and I forgot to tell one of, one of the services that. But it was good, so I stole it. Now, Jesus told them this story. Now, okay, he's talking about lost people would come. Jesus would be like, hey, repent. They love Jesus. Church people, all of a sudden, these church people don't really love Jesus much. I'm like, how is that possible? These are like professional Christians, so to speak, of their day. And so he told them this story. Who? He's talking about the lost sheep. Well, lost people already know that they're lost. So he's telling the church people. So this message is if you're like a son or daughter of heaven already. And if you're not, let's fix it after the service. Let's get you connected with God. But he tells them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And every single Pharisee and professional Christian in that room, you, if you're, every single person there is like, won't he leave the 99? And they're like, me, won't he leave me? Won't the father leave me to go after the one? Every single one of them heard the one thing. He would leave me. So this is in the mall when I'm like, hey, the three of you stay here and take care of each other. Like that's, take care of each other. I, we got to go find Katie. When he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, Jesus is saying, if you don't get this about God, you're not going to get God. In the same way, there is more joy in the sheepfold. Oh. In the church, uh, maybe, if the church reflects the heart of heaven. But this church can lose the heart of heaven. There's more joy in Where? He's saying there's more joy in heaven, and he's telling the guys in the sheepfold, there should be that joy here, but it's not here. Over one sinner who repents and returns to God, and over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And Christians were like, hey, great job keeping the rules. And God's like, what? You get everything. We get everything. Now, it's not like living a righteous life is easy. Sin is easy. But it'll be a lot easier if you start like focusing on the person that God is trying to get into the family. That's what righteousness is for. Some of us were just like, I just need to be like, live a good life so that I'm, I'm healthy and I'm happy. You'll, yes, healthy people are ha happy people. You'll never be healthy until you help this person get healthy. That's how you do it. That's what it's for. Now, This is the part that I'm going to give you an opportunity. We're going to sing a song called Make Room in, in a Minute. I'm going to give you an opportunity to have a heart change. I'm going to give you, sons and daughters of God, an opportunity to have a heart change so that it actually reflects God's heart for your neighbor. I'm going to give you an opportunity because if we don't get this right, God can't give us the city. And can I say it like this? God shouldn't give us the city. If we don't get this right, we're not going to be a great house for them to come to and get adopted into. 
This is going to be something that's wrong. We're going to come in and then we're going to teach them to be thinking about church inside and not church outside. And you could have your joy metric completely changed so that the things that please God and make your dad happy also make you happy. I remember the day, because I worked in the trades world, and you want to talk about a group of people that will tell you what they think about God and you and church and your mom. And I remember this one guy, Kelly, and he was great. We became good friends over time. But, man, I'll tell you, he was, he hated God. He hated the church. And I was so frustrated. You know, this, for years I knew him. I was so frustrated. I was praying for him. And finally God said to him, like, there's something off. There's something off with you. And he said, this is what he said to me. If you had his dad, you'd be him. You would think the same way about me and my house that he does if you grew up in that home and heard that all the time and had all this bitterness floating around. It's like God was saying to me, like, you think you're here because you're special? You're here because Jesus is special. You're here because I'm special and I made a way for you. And I actually want, I found your, right? I found your dad and I found your mom and I brought you in and you got to grow up in that home. That's because I'm special. It's nothing you did. You know, you got to let me carry you back into the house, but that's about it. That's like, Jesus, I give my life to you and this, and you give up. And like, that's what I brought to the table and that's not great. You know what I mean? Like, that's it. And that moment, I re still remember that moment because when you grow up inside church like I did, my dad's a pastor, when you grow up in church like I did, now I'm out in the working world and it was always in my mind, us and them, us and them, us and them, us and them on the inside. I'm trying to reach them. That day it changed to, he's me. I'm him. I'd be in exactly the same place as he is if I grew up in that home and had his life experiences. Us. And then I actually started talking to him with some respect. When I realized, like, I got to talk to him in a way that works for him. The gospel message never changes. But I'm like, I got to take some of this Christian pride out and just be like, just start working my story in a little bit at a time. If people love you and people love people, they'll believe your story. That's the best thing you've got. Tell them what God has done for you. What are they going to say? They're not going to believe you? And I started just talking to him like he was me. And wouldn't you know it, when his marriage got in trouble, I had an opportunity. Talked to him about God a little more. Talked to him about church a little bit more. I realized it was never us and them. God didn't come down to save them. He came down to save us. And it says when one sinner returns home, they belong in God's house already. The adoption paper has been signed from God's end. It just needs to get signed on their end. It's already paid for. Like everything's done. All they need to do is sign it and give up and come back to Jesus. Can I uh, come on up, worship? Um, please hear my heart as I share this next part because I'm not trying to disparage um, any other church, but I want to warn this church that what God has called us to do, we have to guard that and we have to be intense about it and we have to get upset about it and stay upset about it. And um, please believe me, my heart is always like honoring of the church of God at, at large, but that doesn't mean that, it, here's what I would say, venue can get off track and we can lose the heart of our father as a church. 
We can be 80% of the way there and not care about the things, not be obsessed about the things that God wants us to be. So let me just put it there in that place. Like for us, a life saved is worth everything. Every cent in our budget and every drop of blood in our veins. It always will. It has to. A friend of mine who now uh, actually has a bunch of churches, a great, great guy. Some of you would know who he is. Uh, probably one of my best friends in ministry. And he had an opportunity when he was young, he was a musician, to go into a, a mega church that had just grown from 3,500 people to 5,500 people in one year. And to be their music guy, one of their music guys, and, and he could travel. I mean, it was a dream job, double salary, what he was making. He gets to work, at the, he gets to do his calling and all the things. And um, he said, I was ready to go. He said, and then, and then I got what every member of the church got was this nice glossy, uh, we should do those actually, they'd be pretty cool. Things about all the things that the church did that year, you know, to give to the members of the church, like an annual thing. And he goes, I'm flipping through there. And he's like, oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. Then I got to the page where it said how many people came to Jesus in like a church the size of a town. And it said 13. And he closed the book and he said, I don't want to work here. He's like, they published that? There's more than 13 people went to heaven that year from that church. There was more than 13 babies got born there. That, that doesn't even keep up with Christian kids getting baptized. He's like, and I want to say this, like, let the fear of the Lord be on, I'm not going to speak for any, I'm like, for this church. That's not enough. That's not even like, that's not. What about all the others that we were supposed to reach? What about the people that don't, don't get to go to heaven because I thought the church was about us and I thought that the church was about buildings and I thought that you know all of this is because we wanna make God's name glorious and help his obsession in finding the lost one. Every line item in our budget is to do one thing and that's to, I'd rather be a, live dog than a dead lion. I'd rather be a live lion too. And as we get bigger, we have to understand, we have to push down the love of Jesus into every single person that we see. And we have to share God's obsession so that we're never really okay. There's a dull ache inside of us. As long as our neighbor isn't here, there's a, a dull ache inside of us. It's like, we're just never quite okay. We live in the blessing of God, but ah, oh, wouldn't it be great? Um, you guys know Jesse Fair? He's on the creative team. He actually came back from, he was in London and Paris. Where was he? He was on a honeymoon. We didn't go. We weren't fancy on our honeymoon. Anyways, whatever. He grew up in my dad's church. And um, and I, uh, I took dad's church over and I changed a bunch of stuff because that's what I would do. And, and uh, it was a great church. I just, I'm, I'm different than my dad. And so we changed a bunch of things. And, and Jesse... His mom would drag him to church, but Jesse was not in a good place. I tell you, he got emotional because he was, he was sitting right over there this morning and he got like, he was not in a good place. His mom kept dragging him to church. He was far from God. Grew up in the church, just got angry and bitter and probably into some stuff. And he's sitting there right there in the second row. I preached to him like week after week after week and he was just angry and you know how it is when, I only preach to people who smile. 
I was like glossed past all the angry people. He was there. He was angry, but this is like not a big church. So it was, I saw Jesse's face a lot. And uh, every week I'm just like, how can we get through to Jesse? And I got an email from a family in the church who was getting like Christian weird and decided to leave the church. And I got an email and I think, I, the numbers are always a little confusing for me. I think 18 times in this email, it was like a page and a half long. The paragraph started with I, me, we aren't happy. The church has changed since we started coming 10 years ago. And I'm like, your family changed because you adopt two Ethiopian street kids. It doesn't look the same either. Is that what you wanted? Or did you want to get two kids off the street somewhere? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like the church, how dare the church change? Because somebody sat in my chair. How dare the church change? Because we adopted somebody else and you got to make an adjustment. And I read this letter and I only came up in there twice and that was to accuse me of things that they were angry about. And not one time in that entire email did I hear anything about reaching their neighbor or somebody who was far from God coming to Jesus. Not one time. And I'm like, you should go to a different church because we don't care about the same things. And an hour or two later, guess who walks into my office? Jesse. And he's broken and he's repenting. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I just need to come back to Jesus. And I cried and he cried, his mom cried. And I said out loud when he left, I said, I will never again make a decision whose only purpose is to keep a religious person happy if it costs me influence with a lost person. Never again. I'm like, church people, we can get over it. We can just get over it. We don't need church people problems here. We just need to reach lost people. And until the person sitting beside you It'd be different if it was your brother. Well, why isn't it your brother? Why don't you see them like, they're somebody's son. Somebody's been praying for them to get to church. Why don't you like, no, they're my dad. They're my brother. They're my sister. They're, they're like my child. What would I do to get that person next to God? Until you share that obsession and until Venue keeps that obsession strong with our Heavenly Father, we are never going to reflect the heart of God. I want to give you an opportunity during this song. This is for church people. Next week, I'm going to do an altar call. Like, I'll do a response time for people who need to get saved. If you need to get saved and come and just give your life to Jesus, you can do that in, in the prayer. You, you can do that right now if you want to. But this is for us on the inside. If we won't do this thing, I don't think God should give us the city. But we're going to do this thing, and we're going to have a heart change right now. We're just going to say, during this song, we're going to make room for the Lord. And we're going to say, do whatever you want, and do it right here. Our heart needs to reflect your heart. Thank you.